Welcome to the MTFN BizCast, a podcast designed to provide information regarding a variety of legal topics. The attorneys at Meisner, Tierney, Fisher & Nichols host new episodes every month covering topics that are current and relevant to business owners, professionals, and members of the legal community. Although we cannot provide legal advice that you can rely on in these episodes, we do hope that they will be helpful to you if and when you ever do need to seek professional advice. Welcome back to the MTFN Podcast. My name is Mark Hamilton. I'm an associate here at MTFN, working primarily with our transactional team. And today I'm joined with my fellow associate, Dan Sievert, who is also part of our transactional team here at Meisner Tierney. Today we'll be discussing the Corporate Transparency Act and its implications on business. Uh, This podcast will serve more as an overview of the act itself and provide general information on how to navigate the waters with reporting under this new law. So Dan, tell us a little bit about the Corporate Transparency Act and how it, you know, became came into effect. Yeah. So the the CTA came into effect back in about 2022 under the Defense Authorization Act. And what it's intending to do is create a barrier for shell entities that are money laundering or providing other financial services to illicit actors. Effectively, what we're going to be transitioning to now is having individual reporting for uh, different types of business entities on who exactly is managing and who exactly owns the entities themselves. So the idea here is kind of to proffer a little bit more information about the entities overall and kind of provide a little bit of a a transparency here on who is running these entities or who rather is in charge or substantial control of the entities overall. Exactly. So for instance, here in Wisconsin, if you wanted to look up a different LLC, a a limited partnership, effectively all you're going to get on a report from the Department of Financial Institutions is who's the registered agent. Um, That's kind of where the information ends. But theoretically, after this, uh, after the CTA and different entities are inputting their their information, uh, government officials through proper search warrants and whatnot, we'll be able to understand who is exactly a, a beneficial owner or has substantial control of the entities. Perfect. So I guess when when did the Corporate Transparency Act take effect and how do companies know when they need to report this information? Corporate Transparency Act became effective this year, January 1st, 2024. Now, there's kind of a two-tier system for how you know when you need to report. So let's say, for instance, you created an entity this year, you created a new LLC. Well, your requirement to file this information is going to be 90 days after you've technically created, and we'll unpack that a little bit more, but after you've created that entity. But if you had an existing entity, um, you know, say you've been doing a small business for uh, the past five years, you have a reporting requirement uh, uh, by the end of the year. So you have until December 31st, 2024, to submit the the required information under the CTA. Going forward, though, if you create an entity, let's say next year, January 1st, 2025, um, you have uh, 30 days um, after the company's creation. So not not the 90 days like it is in this year um, that it decreases down to 30. Cool. So it's kind of a tiered system here based off of just when the entity itself was created and when exactly you need to then be subject to the reporting requirements for the CTA itself. So then I guess let's kind of transition here to what it means to be a created entity under the act itself. And 
creation here for an entity kind of consists of whether or not the entity had to file a document with the Secretary of State or any similar office here under the law. So in Wisconsin, this would include uh, businesses such as corporations, LLCs, uh, limited partnerships, but it would not include entities such as uh, a sole proprietorship or a general partnership that does not need to file essentially a document with the Secretary of State or, for instance, for us, the Department of Financial Institutions um, or any similar entity. As it relates to trusts, how does the Corporate Transparency Act reflect information that is divulged either by a grantor or the trust itself um, opposed to an entity as the, as being the created entity itself? Yep. So, so typically trusts have a, a general exemption um, under the act. The, the exception, of course, is that if, if you create the trust through some type of filing um, with Secretary of State or, or in whatever jurisdiction you're in with a related entity, um, there, there could be, you could be designated as a reporting company. Um, but then also the other the thing to be mindful of is that you could be uh, a beneficial owner under a, another reporting company. So you, you could have a, a reporting obligation no matter what. Sure. So it kind of comes down to the real crux of the matter here is one, if you have to file a document with the Secretary of State or a similar entity thereof, you likely are a reporting company. And two, if you're a trust, um, you might not have to file a document, let's say, with the Secretary of State, but the actual trustees of your trust very well could be beneficial owners of the reporting company that is subject to the reporting requirement. So this kind of moves us forward here to what exactly or who exactly rather must report um, under the, the guise of a reporting company. So essentially here, a reporting company is one that is created by means of filing the document, as we've mentioned, with the Secretary of State and does not meet an exemption. Now, Overall, within the CTA, there are about 23 exemptions, so we won't go into depth about all 23 exemptions, as some of them are pretty hyper-specific, uh, but there are a couple, for instance, that we do want to touch on that we think might play a role into either uh, the prospective listener's business or just in general might apply across the board. So, Dan, why don't you kind of go over the large operating company exemption and what that entails? Sure. So, the large operating company exemption means that there's if you have an entity and you satisfy six different requirements you can qualify as a large operating company and, and not have a reporting obligation that means that you have to have you have to employ 20 or more full-time employees um, they have to be employed obviously in, in the united states these individuals have to average at least 30 hours of service per week the, the entity has to have an operating presence in the united states the Entity has a federal income tax um, or year for or information return for the previous year demonstrating f uh, about $5 million in gross receipts or sales. Um, the entity has reported at least $5 million on their applicable IRS form. And finally, when gross receipts or sales from sources outside the United States uh, are excluded from the entity's amount, the, the amount of receipts is still greater than $5 million. So here we see like underneath the the large operating company exemption it, it's really much, it's really focused specifically on the entity being one based in the United States 
two, certain amount of employees, and three, your gross receipts there and being specific to the idea of the United States itself, opposed to like a foreign entity or foreign uh, foreign receipts that total more than $5 million. At the point to which that is uh, decrease and no longer meeting that threshold, the large operating exemption no longer applies. And so this kind of brings us to a more general exemption, and I think this will play into a, the role here for a lot of uh, companies or a lot of just systems in general that have multiple entities that interplay with each other, uh, which is the subsidiary exemption. And essentially, an entity qualifies for the subsidiary exemption if the ownership of that entity is controlled or wholly owned directly or indirectly uh, by an entity that is exempt. So in other words... An entity that meets uh, a parent company that meets an exemption, either one of the 23 or really it's one of the 19 because they don't accept all of the exemptions to apply for subsidiaries. Uh, If you meet that exemption, all subsidiaries underneath that exempted entity will also be exempt by virtue of them being a subsidiary of the parent company. So an example of this is Let's say you have a parent company who is a large operating company and it meets that exemption and it has five subsidiary entities underneath it. By virtue of the large operating company uh, meeting their exemption, all five subsidiaries will also be exempt by virtue of the subsidiary exemption. So here you can see that in this structure where you have multiple businesses that interplay with each other and have one common parent company, the subsidiaries can be exempt uh, by virtue of the parent's exemption. I will note that it does not operate in the inverse. So if you have an exempted subsidiary entity, but not an exempted parent entity, the parent entity does not qualify for an exemption by virtue of their subsidiary entity. So the key here is whether or not the overall parent company is exempt, and then the subsidiary exemption can be applied. So with all this in mind, let's say a company does not meet one of these two exemptions or the total of the 23, and now they must file their beneficial ownership report under the CTA, Who are the beneficial owners and how does this get determined for an entity? Mark, I'm going to about to blow your mind. Um, It's a lot of individuals. (laughs) Um, There's a very broad definition of who's a beneficial owner because we basically have two camps. We have uh, beneficial owners is any individual who directly or indirectly exercises substantial control or owns or controls at least 25% of the ownership interests of the reporting company. So you you could have um, an individual who, let's say a manager only owns 20% of a reporting company. But if they're a manager, it's likely that they're going to rec- uh, they're going to qualify under the substantial control test. So there's there's going to be a lot of different beneficial owners that that are needing to be evaluated under this reporting requirement. Perfect. So even if you have, let's say, uh, four 25% owners, all 25% owners, one, they must all be reported. That makes sense. But then let's say we also have, uh, let's say hypothetically, we're talking about a law firm here, and they don't meet any of the exemptions. 
and you have a couple of paralegals who exercise substantial control and help with the operation of everything to the point to which they look at almost any document that comes through. Again, this is a hypothetical. In that instance, they would arguably exercise substantial control of the entity if they help basically run the day-to-day operations. Would that be accurate? Yeah, and, and there's a lot of nuance within the term substantial control. There's a lot of different flexibility within it. Uh, and we'll unpack that. But, yep, it, it, even if, you know, they don't exercise any equity stake in the reporting company, they can still have a reporting obligation. Perfect. So they could be both uh, an individual who's not a senior officer, who's not a manager or a member of the entity, and three, doesn't have 25% ownership stake in the entity, and they don't meet any of those, but they still exercise substantial control. At that point, that individual would still be recognized as a beneficial owner. Um, all of this, again, is to point out just kind of how broad the idea of a beneficial owner is under the Corporate Transparency Act and the fact that it doesn't have to be dependent upon the amount of ownership stake or ownership interests you have in an entity. So then, The real question then becomes, how do we determine control for a beneficial owner and how how can this be ascertained? Um, And really, there's a a couple of key key points here. First, you want to identify the individuals who exercise control over the company and exert uh, exert any sort of um, managerial decisions or operations or things within the entity itself. Second, you want to identify the types of ownership interests in your company and the individuals who hold these interests, because even if you own 25% but make absolutely no business decisions and have no managerial control, you are still required to be identified as a beneficial owner. And then third, you want to calculate the percentage of these ownership interests, either held directly or indirectly by the individuals, and identify who controls that requisite 25% and who doesn't, but still exert some sort of control over the entity. Now, there are a couple of exceptions here to the beneficial owner definition, but these can be rather limited. Uh, Dan, why don't you tell us a couple of these exceptions and how they might play out for a beneficial owner um, to be identified on a beneficial ownership report for the CTA? Sure. For instance, one exception is if the individual is a minor. Uh, Another is if the individual is just simply a nominee and intermediary custodian or agent of the beneficial owner. Um, These are obviously pretty small exemptions. To a degree that any of those apply, that's great. Um, But all in all, the beneficial ownership test is is still rather broad. Perfect. So there's kind of generally three exceptions, more or less, uh, within that second exception of agency. It's, you know, a little bit more varied, but by and large, anyone who exerts substantial control and anyone who owns 25% or more, unless you're a minor or meet one of these narrow exceptions, you have to be identified. So we've now identified our beneficial owners. We've now recognized that we're a reporting company who doesn't meet an exemption. What next do we have to do? Well, there's in addition to the reporting company having to identify the beneficial owners, they must also identify their company applicants. Uh, So a company applicant can kind of vary, and there's really two camps there again. Um, But generally speaking, before you even identify these company applicants, there are really two things to consider. One, if your company was created prior to January 1st, 2024, 
uh, the reporting company does not have to identify any of its company applicants. So it's a general exemption right there. It's pretty straightforward. However, if the company was created after January 1st, 2024, you must identify um, at least one company applicant and at most two. So now we know that we must identify our company applicants because we're an entity created after January 1st, 2024. What are the two types of individuals that might be identified here as a company applicant that you must disclose? Sure. So you're going to have your direct filer. Um, this is the person who actually makes the filing with the, for instance, Secretary of State with the Department of Financial Institutions. But then there's also an individual who might control or authorize the filing. Um, I do a lot of filings myself, uh, but I'm not always, don't have autonomy and I might be directed by somebody to do, have certain things or make certain um, modifications. So both of those individuals might have a, a reporting obligation. Perfect. So the key here is at most two people, but likely one individual who's making most of the authoritative decisions with the actual filing itself. So all this is said and done. The fun with the Corporate Transparency Act is now finished. We are a reporting company. We don't meet an exemption. We've identified our beneficial owners, our company applicants. Now what obligations do we have? And it's rather straightforward. It's still cumbersome, but straightforward nonetheless, which is any of these entities that are a reporting company that made such filing has a duty to update this filing going forward. So typically the the deadline here for updating any sort of filing is almost always 30 days. This could be 30 days after there's been a change in control. This could be 30 days after something in your original uh, filing is no longer accurate. This could also be uh, just 30 days where someone's address has changed from what you filed. It Generally speaking, any change that occurred or has happened since your initial filing will trigger an update requirement for the reporting company to identify and list on their beneficial ownership uh, report. So lastly here, Dan, uh, what are the penalties for a reporting company that does not file their beneficial ownership report under the uh, CTA or they don't update their filing at all? Sure. So there's effectively two different types of uh, penalties. One, you can be fined. Uh, have civil penalties for up to $500 a day. But if you uh, qualify for uh, willful violations, uh, there can actually be a, a fine of up to $10,000 and imprisonment for up to two years. All of this to say, you want to make sure you do your filing if you are a reporting company that doesn't meet an exemption. And all of this to say that if you need to update or anything becomes materially inaccurate in your initial filing, do the update and make sure you have it done no later than 30 days after the date of which the change has occurred. So that's the Corporate Transparency Act. We will note here that there is pending litigation and ongoing uh, policies here regarding how the Corporate Transparency Act is going to play out and whether or not it will be rendered constitutional for that matter. Uh, so please, you know, continue to pay attention to both the news and any updates here that you see about the Corporate Transparency Act. But as it stands now, all of these reporting requirements that we've mentioned are set in stone and they need to be complied with if you are a reporting company that does not meet an exemption. Thank you so much for joining Mark and myself on the MTFN podcast. We're discussing breaking down the CTA a little bit more. Hope you tune into our, our website, mtfn.com, for more updates. Thank you again for listening. My name is Mark Hamilton. 
And I'm Dan Siebert. Please tune in again for our next episode. Thank you for listening to this MTFN BizCast. For more information, please visit our website, mtfn.com. There you can access other podcast episodes, articles, and the contact information for our attorneys. To keep up to date with Meisner, Tierney, Fisher, and Nichols, you can also follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Twitter. 